Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of visionary artists who came from different backgrounds but ended up in the same place, sort of. Dawn Richard jumped into the deep end when she auditioned for the reality show Making the Band 3 back in 2004. She made the cut and subsequently became part of the Diddy-manufactured girl group Danity Kane, which hit it pretty big for several years. Richard then formed Dirty Money, which eventually added Diddy himself as a member. But Richard's artistic ambitions went far beyond mainstream pop, and about 10 years ago, she leaned into more experimental music, while also filling her time with a vegan food truck, representing brands, and working with Adult Swim. She's often compared to artists like Bjork and Imogen Heap, which makes sense in that she's always surprising her audience. In what seemed like an unusual pairing, she signed with indie powerhouse Merge Records for the universally acclaimed album Second Line. She subsequently released an album with sonic experimentalist Spencer Zahn, and as you'll hear in this chat, she plans on working with him again. Check out a little bit of Babe Ruth, which is actually taken from Richard's EP, The Architect. I'm the greatest. I'm not bragging this facts, you niggas hate us. They call me Elon, so give me space, bitch. The phenom down you steal from. You bitches basic. I swing for the fence, I'm running circles around you bitches. I am the shit. My sound. Torres, a.k.a. Mackenzie Scott, has also found a home at Merge Records, and her albums, powerful, emotional indie rock with big aspirations, are perhaps more in line with the sound the label was built on. The sixth Torres album just came out, and it's got the best title you'll hear all year. It's called What an Enormous Room, and it's the most expansive set of songs she's ever done, with big hooks and big emotions to match that big title. Torres just kicked off a big tour that'll take Scott and her band around the world this year, so whether you're in Berlin or Boise, you can check them out. And you should. In the meantime... Here's a little bit of Jerk Into Joy, a song that Richard loves, as you'll hear in this conversation. What an enormous room. What an enormous room. Look at all the dancing I can do. Look at all the dancing I can do. Jerk into joy when the goes And elsewhere in this conversation, Scott and Richard talk about whether full albums and bigger concepts can compete with digital singles and instant internet culture. And they get into how running is a vital part of their creative processes. Richard tells Scott that the secret to getting everything done is not sleeping, and they compare church upbringings and how religious songs left a big impression on both. Enjoy. I have to say that we are a very unorthodox conversation. I don't think people would have even thought we would have a conversation together or even mutual but you are exactly the artist that I would love growing up. You are exactly the artist that I would have listened to as a kid. And I listen to you now. I think you are phenomenal. We spoke a while back and you were in the process of making your album. Are you proud of the risks that you've taken because the album sounds phenomenal? And um, How do you feel about having this out now that you've taken these risks? First of all, thanks you for, for saying those things about the record. And I'm honored that you like it and that you listen to it. Um, I am proud of the risks. I mean, it's interesting because I don't spend a lot of time thinking about risk. Um, but I I underst- I know that I take risk. If anything, sometimes I wonder if I'm taking enough risk. I, I think I take more risk than I maybe uh, 
consider that I do or something, or people consider things to be risky that I I wouldn't necessarily, I would consider them to be more neutral. Mm. I love this record and I made exactly the record that I wanted to make. And it's an exact reflection of where I was when I wrote it, where I am now at this point, now that I'm taking it live on the road. And yeah, I wouldn't change it. The name of the album is so yummy. It's so long and good. <laughs> That's number one. And then and then number two, speaking of one of my favorite records, Jerk to Joy, what made you write that record? So if you could give me why the title and then Jerk to I, I'm interested because it just came out. So like the, these are just two things that I wanted to ask you when I was going to see you. So the title was an unexpected choice for me. I was actually thinking of calling the album Jerk into Joy. And then I think I felt like what an enormous room, maybe just as a concept, like encapsulated what I was trying to impart a bit better than jerk into joy, because joy is just, you know, it's one aspect of what I'm trying to capture with these songs. But what an enormous room is more, I wanted to have a title that sort of allowed for the entire spectrum of expressions that I was trying to capture on the record. So I do understand it's a little bit nebulous. It's like a little bit funny. Um, it's just like a full sentence. It's so good. And, and again, I feel like I could, I could take it my own way, but I just sometimes feel like this industry, everything we're in is just this massive open room and we are this entity within it and trying to find our space within it. So that's my own journey. And I just relate to the title. I love the title so much. Thanks Dawn. But I'm falling in love with Jerk to Joy too, because it's an incredible record, but also the title just of all the songs, I was like, this is my favorite. And of course it's my favorite because it's the, the, the title is so great. But what makes you make a record like that? And then what makes you choose to kind of go against the grains that are to me rather than, you know, close to me rather than what's comfortable for people? Why these titles? Why these stories? What does Jerk into Joy truly mean? And I'll tell you what I took away from it, but I want to know what you mean, what the writer took away from it first. I love it. I love these questions. I'm invested. I'm a fan. When I'm writing, I, you could probably guess, I, I have a lot of idiosyncrasies. I'm like a little bit, as, as we all do. I mean, the, you know, all my favorite artists are also have their, they're very like, they're very specific. They're very them. I, I'm sure you have, you know, your whole array of uh, things that yes. make you, yes. things that make you Dawn, the artist. I am no different. I am, uh, so I like to try and take the things that, that I might be inclined to sort of shun. Maybe the more embarrassing aspects of who I am or, or what I think about, or, the, you know, the more meticulous aspects of my personality, of my writing style. I like to take those things and try and make them the best versions of themselves rather than, you know, sort of eschewing them. I like to work them in, but in a way that I feel uh, could be a little more universal. I try and use them as a means of connections. I think artists taking the thing that that is perhaps the most idiosyncratic, the sort of uh, the most specific thing they've been thinking about uh, or that makes them them and, and actually putting it into the work is what makes artists stand apart from one another. I want to say something in a way that it hasn't been said before. So, you know, that's why I try to go with sort of the like most, the most me idea that that I can come up with. And for me, that was what an enormous room this time around. Um, Jerk into joy is, I realize is also like maybe even a funnier title than what an enormous room. It's so good, it's so good. It's sort of like 
and and people who listen won't be able to see me, but I'll sort of do the motion. I'm I'm sort of like it's like jerk into joy. You know what I mean? Get out into like the just the concept of movement and to to push yourself, your body to get into a space of happiness. That's how I took it. Yeah. And in a culture, yeah, in a culture where dance in my culture where dance in New Orleans, where dance is movement is everything. And you kind of like the dance through your song is like, yes, I get you. That, thank you. And that actually is something that I wanted to touch on with you because I am, I am obsessed with not just your songs, but your, your videos, your, your movement The I think what drew me to, to you as an artist was the fact that you're obviously a very talented songer, songwriter, singer, but you are also a talented dancer and you're obviously a visual artist as well. Your, I mean, your use of color, your use of, I mean, I, I take it if you, if you had the opportunity, you would, you would have the audience smelling. Yes. I want people to have a cathartic experience and I want them to feel it through their body, smell it, see it. I want someone way if something was if for whatever reason the world took something from them, whether it was their eyesight, their their ears, their feet, whatever, they could still be touched and moved and, and feel the message. The point is that everybody could walk away touched, changed, transformed. And so I try to create mediums where they can experience that on a major level. It's wild that you would even pick that up, um, but it does not surprise me that you would see me in that way because I think you get lucky and you find artists and you are one of those artists. So thank you for saying that. It's so weird to hear it. I know how you feel when you, to hear people say it, but it's also really cool when people can see you. And it's not easy when you are independent. I think the conversation of like being an indie artist is always very difficult for me because I, how do you make the world hear you in all those different avenues and be a visual artist with very little to do it. And um, I know you relate to this because you believe in, you're a purist, you believe in creating an experience when people see you live, that they get the band, they get everything. You're fighting for the quality, right? As an independent artist to to touch people with your projects. Sometimes I feel very human and I'm, I'm, I'm humbled quite often uh, when I have these big dreams and big ideas and then real, you know, realizing how do I fit it into this world where, you know, we've got to do it in, in the way in which we have to. Yeah. I mean, I would like to say before I before I say anything else, you do mind-blowing work of conveying your vision. And I mean, I appreciate that you said, you know, you're grateful that I see you, but you do it, that's all you. Like you do a fantastic job of let's say making making everything seem like you have perhaps a lot more resources than you do. Uh, I'm not not claiming to know anything about your resources beyond beyond you know the label home that we have. Um, and yeah, independent artists do a lot of self-funding. And I look at your work and I'm like, how does she even make that happen? I am just desperate to to bring more to the the front. Um, let's say than it has been for me as an artist is the visual world that I'm trying to to pair with the music um, because the music really is just one facet of of the the total sensory experience that I would love to bring to people. I have dreams of making like whole films, you know, just one long film with, with every each song has its own world and its own grand color scheme and I have dreams of 
you know, of having like each record be a, a a house that people walk into, and in each room there's there's a different uh, there's a a perfume or a you know a sage, a cedar, rosemary, you know, uh, like each world into itself. It's really hard to do that without fiscal resources. But you, to to some gr- a grand extent, have figured it out. And I would love to talk to you more about that. I mean, do you? How do you do that? Your your bubblegum video. Your I mean, every video that you put out. Like, are you spending months? You know, choreographing, working in a studio. I work really, really hard. Um, I don't sleep because I work super hard to do exactly what you say you want to do. If I want the house, I've got to build the house. If I want the smells, I got to plant the seeds to grow the flowers to get the smells. Um, And so extensive research is put out first and then figuring out what I can fund myself. Um, There are not long months of choreography. A lot of these videos, we learn the choreography the day before. I learn, I walk in and mm. (laughs) sometimes I'll go to London or go to for a show and I can't bring the dancers. So I'll meet the dancers from London the day of, learn the choreo and do it on the stage then. Um, yeah, uh, it, but it's extensive no sleep to be at the level to be able to create something where people don't know what's behind the curtain. It's building something strong enough where you're the great and powerful Oz. <laughs> and then you're in the back just kind of like moving all the pieces. And so I'm lucky that I have a group of people that I try to treat really well. I try to respect their their art and their time. I try to pay them what they're worth. And I come to them with astronomical ideas and I say, okay, this is what I want to do. How hard can we push ourselves to get to this with this amount of money? And sometimes I'll push the people who believe it can't be done. You know, like sometimes people will look at me and be like, that's too ambitious. I love when people tell me that's too ambitious because to me, that's a, it's almost an insult, you know, like that's too big for you. And so then I say, okay, the the enormous room, right? And so then it becomes a mission to figure out how to build it. A lot of times I can't, um, as an independent artist, afford the massive production. So I'll learn how to build it. And then I will study it and then take it on the road with me and build it myself. So I'll come early, won't hire stagehands. I'll just build it myself, do rehearsals, perform it, and then take it down and travel with it. And that goes for the costumes and everything else. Sometimes I have to make it. I'm sewing myself. And so that's what I do. My God, I'm so impressed. But that's what it takes for us to build our dreams, right? Like this is this is the cost. It's like we are in an age where conceptual projects and albums are sometimes overlooked by singles and digital, you know, moments. And everyone is digesting at such a fast rate and nothing's wrong with that. But then... It is so much harder, right, to create these things when you have such a passion for the longevity of a project. And we understand what it means to fight for it. And so that's what we're doing, right? We're fighting for the the moments that we can take something that is in our brain and, like, connect in a way that people have never felt before. And that's just sometimes difficult. But I think when we nail it even a little bit, like, even if we don't hit the bullseye, if we're just around it, what a feeling. 
right? What a feeling. Like, and I don't know, maybe I'm overdoing it and I'm obsessive, but I feel like that's what it takes as an artist. Is we're a little mad, we're a little obsessive, and I'm okay with that. Do you feel the same? Do you feel like, do you feel like we're a rare breed and amongst something, or do you feel like we still have a space and artists that feel this, that connect to this is still very much needed and warranted in the industry. I grapple with it. You know, it's like, I'm like, am I obsolete? I don't really care if I'm obsolete. You know, I fight with that battle. Like I ask and then I'm like, I really don't care. But I do recognize the climate and the type of artist I am and the change that's happening in the industry. Do you feel like the concept of this type of artist is lost or it's still very much present and still very much thriving? Well, you're certainly not obsolete. No, no. We need artists like you doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Um, I will say, I think, you know, if we're talking music industry, if we're talking music business professionals, um, they might not be craving what, what, like, you know, the big picture that we're sort of trying to offer. However, uh, I think people, fans, you know, people like the people listening to the records, watching the videos, coming to the shows, I think those are the people that are absolutely craving what it is that someone like you has to offer. They want to be completely immersed in the world that you've made and they want to follow they want to follow the thread and they want to be immersed in it. I truly believe that. I believe it too. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's Josh Modell. Instead of encouraging you to listen to podcasts today, I'm here to encourage you to read something great. The particular something I have in mind is the second issue of The TalkHouse Reader, the print zine spearheaded by our fantastic music editor, Annie Fell. This issue is focused on the intersection of food and music, and it features contributions from Maddie Matheson, Coleman Domingo, Squirrel Flower, Sam Evian, the Blessed Madonna, and more. There are pieces about eating while on tour, the gentrification of food, cooking as a creative catalyst, and much, much more. 
You can order a copy today, along with the first issue, at store.talkhouse.com. Please do check it out. What I love, well, I I love a lot about you, Don, but one thing that I really love about you is that your your music videos, or when I say your music videos, I'm saying that because it's your song plus the the dance, the you know the world that you've created, and and you bring that to the stage. I got to open for you in New York, and I was absolutely gobsmacked by your ability to take what it is that I had seen in those videos and bring it to the stage. You had your costumes, you had your dancers, you didn't miss a single note. And you were you were throwing yourself all over that stage. I don't know how you do that. I mean, you, you well, I happen to know because I had a <laughs> because I had a conversation with you before that you you do run, you, you know, you you have your cardio exercise that you you put in the work and the time. Cause you have to. I mean, you literally can't do that without without doing the cardio, right? I work out a lot, like I, I do five miles a day. And often when I prep for a show, I'll sing and I'll do the, the show while running. So I'll run the show. So if it's a two hour or one an hour half show, I'll run it at the pace of the songs. So I'll sing the songs and the speed. So if the, the BPMs are higher in the top of the show, I'll run faster, I'll slow down. I'll try to discipline the body to do it. And then for like a few months prior, I'll walk in nothing but heels and endure the level of what that means for my feet, because I also dance in very high heels. Um, and at the dance, it's, 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 it's wearing on the body. It's so funny because people think I, when you say it, I'm like, okay, it doesn't feel like a feat to me. Like it, it feels like every artist is doing that. And I don't know what that is. I don't, I guess my whole life, it's been just that discipline that I never thought that other artists didn't do that. I guess I ask you, even though you're not flinging your body, you do play the guitar. You are very much, I saw your show. I'm at your show. I saw it. And it's wild because my audience had not been introduced to you yet. And they adored you because I think, again, there is this passion behind your work. When you're live, something that translates through. I personally think your records are amazing, but you live is stunning, stunning. And that is, to me, the shine of you. And you, again, there's that level of quiet soul that I think resonates in your album, in in your work, that when you are alive, there is a different person that exudes past the records. And that's, to me, uh, something that makes for an incredible artist when you love the project and then you see them live and they transcend it. So even though you're not giving an eight count, there is this like level of giving of yourself that you do that I wonder is your cardio, the running that you do, is that a part of your discipline too? Does the running help? How do you sustain a show in that way? Also playing the guitar, also deciding when to get away from it, when to step to the mic. These are all timing. People don't understand this is, that's an art in itself is to understand when to captivate, when to play, when to get off of the guitar, when to connect to the audience. You're so kind. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, the cardio, absolutely. The running has become connected to the practice in a way I didn't expect it to. I used to be a runner when I was a kid, and then I stopped for, you know, say five or six years and started to run again in, say, 2018. 
and now it's it's basically a daily practice and it i think what it did for me was it connected me back to my body uh, i had lost touch with my body in a sense and i had this this sort of pent up kinetic energy that i was really desperate to expel both on and off stage and i i didn't necessarily recognize what it was it was just sort of this uh you know this sort of uh really anxiety it was physical sort of physical anxiety and i when i started running again I realized that the same, you know, let's say exorcism that happens when I run is the exorcism that happens or tries to happen when I'm on the stage. You use the word exorcism and I want to delve into that. Why that word? Because I understand that I visually see that. I like, Explain why you use There are a lot of expressions that really, you know, they demand expulsion for me. There are a lot of sounds and movements and you know facial expressions even that i have to make in order to fully impart what it is that i that i'm trying to as an artist that are you know not necessarily expressions that i am going to make in my day to day because it would scare the shit out of the people <laughs> around me <laughs> And so, you know, running it's very tied to the the performance because you get to move until you feel better, I think is what it is. And and for me, like if I've performed without doing all these various expressions, then I don't feel like I have expelled the, uh, you know, the energy, the energy sort of leaving my body is what, what has to happen in order to feel like it's been a full experience. <laughs> I'm not dancing, you know, I'm not... I'm but a, you are though. That is it. That ex, that is dance though. Like that is dance is not just choreography. I don't. I wish you could see you the way I see you. And it's it's more. It is dance, and that exorcism is. It is like it's so. I can relate to it. I see it, and it's just as powerful. Just one jack is as powerful as an eight count for me. When you do it, I feel that. I understand that language. And everybody can't do an eight count, but everyone can understand that that release that you're talking about. So I I I I have to disagree that you are definitely giving me choreography. You are definitely giving me dance. And it is like beautiful. It's art in motion. Thank you, Don. I really appreciate that. So I have one more question. I often want to know who have been your influences because I, I never asked you that when we sat down. I kind of just delved into what you were, but I never really asked about like growing up. I knew where you came from. You told me your past, how you grew up. But I, I would love to know who are your musical inspirations because influences, I hate the word, but I do know that there are people that have moved you in a way to, to guide you. And I'd love to know who those people are because I think it would help me grasp how you got here musically. Well, you know, I grew up in the Baptist church, yes. <laughs> which is, I mean, you know, love it or not, I'm made of that stuff, particularly the hymns, you know, the old traditional hymns of the church. Like that's really where my musical lexicon sort of begins and ends. I, and particularly those melodies, my melodic sensibilities tend to be hymn-like. And then you know, after that, I got really, I'm I'm from Macon, Georgia. Um, I'm a child of the 90s. So pop country, like 
Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Shania Twain, you know, the chicks. Um, these are sort of <laughs> very formative for me. So there's the pop country thing. And then when I really got into music, it was Britney Spears. It was Backstreet Boys. Uh, it was the pop stars. All I wanted was to be Britney Spears. That's so amazing to me in such a great way. <laughs> the Louisiana in me loves that for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, she's from Kitwood. And, you know, I still love that stuff. Like, I I never lost my love. Like, you know, it's after that, I, I've figured out the rest. I figured out, like, Nirvana and, you know, like, <laughs> you know, some of the stuff that you might sort of equate with my music a little more directly now. But those first loves really informed like kind of what I gravitate to first and foremost whenever I sit down to make something. I feel like that's what makes it unique though, because to me, the root of you having hymns as your base makes your melody strong and and like strong in a way to me that it's universal. It has a baseline that everyone relates to because everyone, whether they know it or not, hymns are so melodic and they're so catchy and they're repetitive. And so like, to have a hymn concentration and then go to pop is, to me, genius. <laughs> and to add the alt later, the country dynamic to me, it, it speaks to your sound. I actually think that's why you're so unique. That's why you're so dope is because you've kind of cultivated the baseline of, to me, I think hymns, especially Baptist church hymns, are something that I don't care what color you are. Those hymns resonate till you die. They are in your life. They're in your system till you go because they're so catchy and they're so repetitive. And then to put that and underlay that with pop culture, I think makes for a brilliant kind of artist. That's why I wanted you to talk about it because the Baptist, man, like I grew up in a Catholic church. So I know those same hymns and those, those same dynamics and hate it or love it. It's a part of our story in interesting ways. Um, I still, in my music, I use Catholicism and what I grew up in as a storyteller as well, but it is a part of who I am. So I think that helps me understand the choices you made as a musician just based off of what you just said, because it's in your music. And like specifically, you're talking about hymns, your choices, melodies on your records. That, that sounds through. I can hear that. Thank you, John. Because it makes so much sense. Yeah. I feel seen. I really do. I know. Who would have thought this talk would make us see each other even more? I feel like we need to catch up again. I feel like we're back at that coffee shop. I would love that. I'm looking forward to that. Can I ask you one more question before we end? If you can talk about it, what are you doing right now? What are you working on? Are you really excited about something that's coming up? Yeah, uh, I have uh, a lot of stuff coming up. I've got another project that I'm working on with Spencer. Um, I think that project for me, was a beautiful surprise. I knew and believed in it. I knew what it could be. Um, I did not know how it would be received. And it was received so lovely that I think he and I understand that we're not done. And so we have a project that is even more beautiful if you can fathom that we could do that. I don't, you know, I'm just shocked by it. I love it, you know, but uh, we have a, another project that is even more vulnerable, I think. And I, for whatever reason, Spencer's brings out a vulnerability that I don't necessarily um, show, uh, specifically in my songwriting. Um, I tend to write more metaphorical. I tend to put um, the story and the concept in the visual. And I think with Spencer, that's there, but I, it's more in the lyrical. And as a songwriter, I'm, I'm very proud of 
my journey with him uh, as a songwriter and this project. Pigments was great, but I think what's coming is even more of a vulnerability in my songwriting that I'm very proud of. It pushes my pen in a way that I think oftentimes I don't necessarily pay attention. I just write and I don't necessarily pay attention to how often um, poetry and reading and literature plays a part in my life. And I think my grandmother would be proud of this next project as a writer. I've been working a lot in animation and uh, I want to tell King Creole's story in many different forms. And so I'm building that story um, with another follow-up to Second Line. It'll be a saga with King Creole, and it will also be visual in the animated space. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, I've been working in animation for a long time, so to finally, I've been telling, helping tell other stories. I'll finally get to tell mine, um, and I'm really proud about that. So those are the things that I'm working on. And then I'll be going on tour with Spencer for Pigments uh, coming up. And I know you're about to go on tour. So aren't you doing that? I am. Yeah, I am going on tour. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited to hear your new music. I'm really excited to see your new animation. I I didn't even, we didn't even get to talk about that. I mean, there's so much we didn't. I have so many jobs. <laughs> we didn't even touch, but you are like truly you've got to be one of the most talented people I know. And I'm extremely grateful for your time today. I know you're super busy. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ever busy to speak to you. I really appreciate you for like, you know, coming in and, and speaking with me. Life sometimes is life. And, and I had a crazy journey with my, my family that took me away. Um, and what I realized is that these are the moments that I really treasure is that genuine people that uh, come into my life. And for whatever reason, music has dealt me some really interesting hands. But man, oh man, has it given me some angels and you are one of those people. So I, I just really do appreciate you. I really think you are awesome. And I just I'm looking forward to your level of what you deem you want for yourself. I want you to reach it at a ultimate level because you are just a beautiful person so like I am rooting for you always be here to support whatever you do because I think you are amazing oh man I have tears in my eyes and goosebumps on my skin thank you Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Don Richard and Mackenzie Scott of Torres for chatting. If you like what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting service and check out the wide variety of other shows available on our network. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.